Hi, welcome back to the Only Cure for Borderline Personality Disorder podcast. I'm Shamala Del Rosario. I'm 53. I'm a wife, a mother, grandmother, and I've lived with distorted perceptions for my entire life. I had been convinced that there was something fundamentally wrong with me and that I was unfixable. But around a year ago, I stumbled across Brian Barnett, and from that moment, my misperceptions did begin to unravel. So as I continue to do the inner work to root out the underlying subconscious core belief that my feelings are inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth, and therefore so am I, I'll be using this podcast platform to share my insights and thoughts. I strongly suggest that you do subscribe to thelastsymptom.com, which is a free resource I have had and continue to have the privilege of learning from. And just to be clear, these are my personal experiences and insights. I'm not qualified in any field of emotional or mental health. And so anybody that chooses to listen is responsible for their own thoughts, feelings and actions. I hope you're all well. And as ever, thank you so much for all of your comments and feedback and messages. I really do appreciate it. I had been planning to talk about something else today, but this morning I was forwarded an article um, written by Sarah Horfrecht, I hope that I've pronounced that right, where she describes her personal experience of living with a borderline personality parent. She likens it to living beside Mount Vesuvius. You know, it could um, could erupt at, um, at any moment. So honestly, thank you so much for sharing this article with me, Matt. It really, really, um, it resonated with me and it saddened me on so many levels. And I I just wanted to share it with everybody else, but share it in Sarah's own beautifully articulated and and heartfelt words. You know, to highlight that 2% of the population, they are affected by borderline personality disorder. And 10% of those do unfortunately go on to kill themselves. And these, they're not just numbers. These are real people with families and friends that are also casualties. You know, of that devastating effect. And sadly, sadly, there are thousands of other untold and equally heartbreaking stories. But Sarah wrote this article on February the 29th, 2016 at 4.59am and it's where she heartfeltly discusses how she loved, lived with and also lost her mother to borderline personality disorder. So for this episode, episode, it's dedicated to Sarah and to her mother. So this is in in Sarah's, Sarah's own words. Okay, so obviously I'm going to be reading it. Six months after my mum's suicide, there's still a £12 lasagna that she made in my freezer. And I can't will myself to defrost it or throw it away. In case you have guests, my mother had said when she hoisted the slab of meat, noodles and cheese from her refrigerator bag into my freezer. I took this to mean 
You should have more friends over. Now that she's gone, I realise that my translation, it was wrong. She was saying, I wish I had more friends to feed because I feel alone. She'd had plenty of friends once, plenty of dinner parties, but that all ended years ago. Her friends had fallen from favour over bizarre arguments, of which I'd only hear the murky details. Or they'd been driven away by my mum's general operating procedures. A consistent pattern of destruction to herself and others. So for some background, my dad divorced her when I was four. She tried to stab him with a kitchen knife. Her best friend became estranged and embittered around the time I graduated college. Their plan to to manage an artisan cheese business, that went wildly astray. Her second husband, that's my sister's dad, left when I was 25. She spent most of their 15-year marriage disparaging him. I don't know how he lasted as long as he did. Well, actually, I do. He was well fed. As much as she was stubborn, deceitful and conniving, my mum was equally passionate, charming and, and generous. I can hear her humming while dancing with the, the watering hose in the back garden. I can see her leaning over a simmering pot of chilli, stirring it with one hand and helping me finish my math homework with the other. Even now, I can recall from memory the taste of her tiramisu, the dessert that she made me for my surprise 21st birthday party, an event that she'd organised and executed flawlessly. The garden and the kitchen were her sanctuary, but they were also her dominion over which to rule. She could exert her wishes over ingredients that had no words or free will. So her cakes, they were never dry or burned, and the plants grew exactly the way that she planted them. People, on the other hand, she couldn't control. My mother treated anyone disagreeing with her or disobeying her wishes like an enemy, especially her loved ones. This didn't make sense to me until I realised that my mum was suffering from borderline personality disorder. Snapshots of my upbringing don't look much different from, from plain old questionable parenting. For example, if I forgot to call my mum upon arrival somewhere to let her know that I was safe, she'd threaten to call the police or, or highway patrol, and a few times she did. And as a result, I became obsessively punctual and overly attentive. If I shared an accomplishment of mine with her, she'd be overjoyed for a moment, but then also tell me how she would have done it better. I became keenly observant of her methods, never questioned her authority and strived to be the best at everything. Because anything less was was a massive disappointment in her eyes. 
Any disagreement, big or small, merited a strong reproach. It could trigger her to throw something, to storm off screaming, or to drink even more than she normally did. In college, I finally grew brave enough to tell her that she'd got a drinking problem. But after three pointless attempts at an intervention, my my efforts just seemed futile. Her reality, no matter how factually incorrect or emotionally unjust, was all that she could see. I I resigned to spend my life proving that I I was not her. I'd place a mental check mark in in the not not my mum box when whenever I hit a milestone, attain a, a, a college degree, check that box. Still to speaking to my dad after age 21, check. Not addicted to alcohol or painkillers, check. In retrospect, being on constant red alert for, for mum-like tendencies was concerning. But something even more insidious what was what was happening to me. The worse my mum's situation became, the more I felt responsible for her. And the more I felt, the more I felt ashamed that I couldn't solve her problems. Four years ago, my younger sister stopped speaking to my mother altogether. I understood. I might have done the same thing if it hadn't been that my first 18 years had, hadn't been exclusively under my, under my mother's roof growing up. At least I'd um, lived at my father's house half of the time, so I'd had time away from my mum that my sister never had. And when she closed off communication with my mum, I became the last relative to stay close, stay at close range. And this actually meant accepting her lasagnas quiches and homegrown vegetables, managing her DUIs, her unpaid bills, her storage unit filled with canned goods and cookbooks. When she asked me to forge her doctor's signature on a prescription pad that she'd swindle from the office, I declined with my best friend in the room and that was for both moral support and protection just in case she acted out. And when she called the Reverend two weeks before my wedding to ask him not to marry me, she told him I was too afraid to back out. But this was, of course, a complete, a complete fabrication. Years before, she'd actually lost another dear friend in a similar clandestine manoeuvre when she disapproved of that fiancé. Over time, the wasteland of ruined friendships Marriages and business ventures grew as plentifully as as the tomatoes in a garden, rose as reliably as her sourdough starter. It took took a long time for someone else to point out that my mum might have an actual illness instead of what I referred to as her homemade recipe for crazy. I was 30, married, in therapy, and my psychologist gave me, gave me a copy of a book about borderline personality disorder. The, that book outlined in startling detail every dark shade of my mum's psyche. Intense fears of abandonment, explosive anger, 
extreme idealization and devaluation of others and of the self, of the self-impulsive behavior, substance abuse and self-harm. At the time, that book provided me with the answers. Because children of borderline personality disorder parents routinely, routinely become overly sensitive to the moods and needs of others, overbearing, quick to wound, overly critical of themselves. Did I possess these traits? Check. For me, the tools I developed to deal with my mum cost me the ability to navigate conflict in a healthy way, to stand up for myself, to allow someone else to take care of me when I needed it. Educating myself about her struggles, working with a therapist and becoming aware of her effect on my behaviour set me on a path to build the much needed emotional resources I lacked. I learned to take responsibility for what was in my control and let go of what, what wasn't. It was not my job to fix everything. For the first time, my mother made sense to me and understanding her, having empathy, was something I could give her more fully. Even if she didn't have much to give in return, it allowed me to see the intellectual strength, the silly quirks and the creativity that she gave me. Not just my shortcomings. And rediscover gratitude for the sum total of her influence. It allowed me to see the whole her and the whole me. That was several years ago. And now she's gone. And even with this self-awareness and insight, I'm left feeling lost again and with more questions than answers. Was there anything more I could have done for her? Did anything I do matter? Did I enable her to cause more damage? I'd spent years after all trying to help, to help her get into AA to give her enough money to stay afloat after her bankruptcy, take her to various doctors for the endless slew of medical ailments she developed or psychosomatically manufactured. The dialogue in my head reminds me of the unending analysis surrounding the 2008 financial crisis, you know, measuring damages, the bailout, who to blame, whether we did too much, not enough, my mother's death was like this, a shattering moment in my historical timeline that can never be undone, but can be forever deconstructed and reinterpreted in my mind as I look into the past or when new information emerges. I delivered the news of my mum's death to an old friend of hers, someone who'd known my mother in her late teens. They'd lost touch many years ago, but she was one of the few, few close friends with whom my mother parted company on good terms. Her reaction was striking. She said she was saddened, but not surprised. She said, even then, your mum seemed troubled, troubled off. She didn't react to other people very well. She didn't react to conflict, but she was a great friend.
A week before her death, my mum and I assembled a small grill that she'd bought for me as a gift. Now, let me rephrase that. My mum bought me a grill, probably with money I had given her to make rent that month. And then she assembled it herself because she said I was doing it wrong. She was quite a master craftsman and tinkerer in and out of the kitchen. As long as all of the items succumbed to her personal system of logic. She didn't see any reason to change course if her direction conflicted with the instruction manual or say the natural law of physics. You never really need these, she'd said, tossing some screws aside. I'd learned to stay quiet, unless she posed an imminent danger to myself or to others. Being non-reactive, depriving her of fodder to fuel an emotional eruption was a handy technique I'd learned to keep us both, both on good behaviour. But fear and worry still churned inside me no matter how calm I appeared on the surface. When I look back on that day, this is what I see. The years of trying eventually gave way to the years of accepting that she was never going to get better. She was unwilling. I was able to find moments of joy with my mum. To give her what I could rather than giving in to her mania. To fill some of that loneliness with a daughter's love. It was hard work much of the time, but I, but I came to believe that her work, her work, the work of living with an untreated emotional illness for 60 years was much harder. On a warm August day, just afternoon, I got a call from the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Department. That morning, she'd driven to her favourite place in the world, a beach in Montecito, close to the former estate of her, her idol, Julia Child. I'll never know for sure, but I'd guess she'd walked along the sand as the sun rose, listening to the waves and the intermittent whistle sounding from the coastline Amtrak trains. And then she stepped in front of one. I couldn't eat for the rest of the day. Walking into my house that night, I wasn't sure what to do, or even who I would be in this new world, where I wasn't fearing the call that I'd already received, worrying what, what havoc she was causing. I was released by one kind of sorrow in that moment. And then, I spotted the last three tomatoes that she'd given me, small and solitary, ripening in a large white pottery bowl. My mother was the only person I knew to pronounce the word tomatoes instead of tomatoes and to correct anybody who pronounced it otherwise. I would never hear her say that word again. And I was overtaken by another kind of sorrow the sadness that I would never again see the person I had spent most of my life trying not to become, and without whom I would not be who I am. 
I wasn't the least bit hungry. But I put a pot of water on the stove for pasta and cried while I sliced up the tomatoes. I mixed them delicately with basil, olive oil and sea salt. And I ate them for her, digesting my loss. Several days after the call, her suicide note arrived in the mail and it said, I love you, always and forever. I'll be the angel in the sky, listening and granting wishes. That same day, my sister sent me a picture of the largest squash I'd ever seen. Before going to work, she'd had a casual discussion about making vegetable lasagna. An hours later, a co-worker happened to offer up this green giant, literally the size of a caveman's club. My sister's next message was no surprise. Mom is speaking to us through zucchini. There was a levity to this moment, an enchantment specific to grief. I can finally talk to mum again, my sister says. It's easier now that she can't talk back, I say. Then came the laughter and then came the tears. The grill that she gave me and built for me sits on my patio in the place where I took the last picture of her. It works like a dream. I've held on to the extra screws the extra screws that she didn't use, just as if they were good luck charms. As for the mysterious zucchini, my sister made that veggie lasagna, but that's not all. She made zucchini bread and zucchini fritters and still had more left over. It was just too much. We didn't know what to do with it all. And so that was in memory of Sarah's mum. And thank you so much to Sarah for articulating so beautifully and through her own grief, many of the challenges, living with borderline personality disorder and also living with somebody you love that has, has borderline personality disorder. What I'll do is I'll pop Sarah's details in the um, the title and the credits of this, this episode if you want to um, find out some more about Sarah. And that's it for me. But that's also a reminder um, for me that I do need to sort something out to have um, guest spots because there are a few people that I am talking to about upcoming episodes. But I'm getting more techie by the day and um, a lovely young lady has also offered to help me edit when I do get to that stage. So thank you so much for that, Beth. And yeah, as I say, that's it for me. So if you could um, continue to like, share, comment and subscribe, that would be great. And I hope that you all do have a lovely, very lovely upcoming week and hopefully speak soon. So take care all now and bye.